Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey, hey, how are you? Um, it is I, your host of Spinning Plates podcast. Um, I am getting increasingly loopy with my introductions to the podcast, you're not fine. <laughs> um, anyway, I hope everything's all right with you. I am um, sat sheltering from a bit of a thunderstorm, actually. We've had um, a bit of a heat wave, and now the uh, rain has come, and that's good. Uh, and talking of heat waves, when I interviewed uh, this week's guest, uh, lovely Thomasina Myers, who is... Uh, the winner of MasterChef 2005, I believe it was, but also the founder of Oaxaca, um, among many other things that she gets up to, her cookbooks, uh, her association with chefs in schools, helping children learn how to cook tasty, um, affordable food. Um, yeah, when I spoke to Tommy, it was another very hot day. So you'll hear us talking about uh, having hot thighs, actually. And we're not talking about cooking thighs. We're talking about literally our own thighs being warm. Um, it was really lovely to talk to Tommy. Um, I went round to her house to chat to her. And uh, she was very, very open and warm and very candid actually about uh, a period in her life she calls her wilderness years where she sort of feels like she wasn't really sure what she should be doing or what she should be up to um, 
which I think when you hear how driven she is and how many ideas she has and how much momentum there is in her life, I think will kind of surprise you. But hey, we can all feel a little bit restless. And sometimes if you have that kind of energy, you're actually very prone to feeling really quite lost when you don't really know where to direct it. Um, and I can definitely relate to that feeling of just thinking, I don't, I've got all this energy and I don't really know what it is I'm supposed to be getting on with in my life. Um, She's also an example of someone where some of the women I've spoken to, uh, they have their careers, they have their children, and then after having a baby, they sort of rethink everything. Whereas with Tommy, I feel like she scooped up her bubbers. She has three little girls, um, and I think they are aged. Let me get this right. I think it is four and seven and nine. Um, Tommy will probably correct me with that when we start talking. Um, but... Um, you know, she, it feels like she sort of scooped them up along for the ride with her, with her with her work. I feel like what she does for a living and how she approaches her work would have been pretty much the same if there were children strapped on her back or not. But as it happens, she has got them and a very happy home life she has too. She's managed to overcome um, an unhealthy relationship with food, as she talks about when she was younger. She's now the other side of that. So, you know, someone who's very strong and also very open about um, any mental health wobbles. Uh, which I know happened to many of us. So I think, you know, it's so important to keep these conversations out in the open because actually it turns out that everybody's had those kind of things happen to them one time in their life or know someone that has. Oh, that's sweet. Can you hear birds tweeting in the background? I can hear the sounds of birds tweeting and I can also hear the sound of Minecraft because uh, one of my kids has got a play date and they are happily building something in a virtual land. What a strange modern world we live in. Anyway, <laughs> over to Tommy and her wisdom. You don't need any more of me nattering along. Um, actually, I am going to make a cup of tea. I know I always finish off this bit with a cup of tea, but it's actually genuinely what I always feel like doing. I don't know. I must associate you with tea. Uh, can only be a good thing. I love tea and I love you. So enjoy. See you on the other side. Thanks so much for coming to find me again. Tommy, thank you very much for talking to me today. I should probably explain to people listening in black and white where we are. We are in your bedroom, actually, but we're socially distanced, just to reassure everybody. There's a good... Even if I stretch my arm out, I won't be able to reach you. No. But, um, but we can speak, and it's a really hot day out there, and we've shut all the windows, so if we start to sound a bit parched, that'll be why. Um, slightly reminds me of a podcast I did with... Uh... Uh, Violet, uh, Claire, Claire Patak, I call her Claire Cakes. Uh, we did a live podcast in, we had we had an audience of 60 people in her cake shop in East London. And it was a day like this, it was so sweaty. And I just remember the sensation of my thighs slipping against <laughs> each other. Oh, <laughs> so hot. I'm sure we'll be able to replicate that very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how many jobs I've done actually where I have been in stiflingly hot situations. You just kind of get on with it, don't you? Yeah. You're thinking, I think I'm doing a video once on what must have been one of the hottest days ever on record. And we just, all of us, the whole band, just keep, needs to be kept mopped down over and over again and the makeup was all sliding off. And you look back and you think, that was actually really unpleasant. I mean, maybe in the cake shop it was quite nice, but definitely doing the video was not that nice. <laughs> just too hot. But at the moment I'm not that hot night night. No, it's, quite, it's all right. It's all right. It's actually okay. <laughs> I haven't reached that point. It's okay. We're, we're doing okay so far. And when... when uh, and we got here, you said you've been cooking in the kitchen. Can I ask you what you've been cooking today? Uh, I have got some Goodsbury's poaching because I couldn't resist them in the market. But that, they've, been in, um, they've been in the fridge for quite a long time now, so I thought I'd better cook them. So mm -hmm. I can't decide. 
I've got a couple of friends coming into the garden tonight um, to have a drink, and I thought I could make some fool or ice cream. Oh. So I'm trying to decide which because um, I love both. I, I love a nice fool. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably go for the fool just because I think that's there's something so like comforting and yeah. And um, then and then I'm getting indulgent. really into chili recently. I've I've been doing lots of seasonal British, and then I suddenly had a change of mood this week and I've got lots of aubergine I'm doing a photo shoot tomorrow okay. here for wow. my new website so we've, we've I've been going through all my old cookbooks mm-hmm. um by this lovely photographer who's another working mum Tara mm-hmm. Fisher who basically built her career up single-handedly raised her kids put them through private school really impressive um mm. woman and um so I've been I, I was looking through last night all my old cookbooks by her thinking I could use some of that photography and um and then I found this amazing Sichuan aubergine recipe so I'm going to do that for supper tonight oh that sounds good yeah lots of chili and kind of you know lovely gunky Chinesey Sichuan pepper all the stuff that gets stuck to the pan will be extra extra good we've been eating quite a lot of spicy food at home actually as well yeah but um something tells me that 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 will be really delicious um yeah because it's uh uh, we should probably get the kind of uh, coronavirus chat out the way, really. How have you been finding everything during lockdown? Because presumably you've still been working all the way through it. Yeah, so, I mean, the really lovely aspect of it was that, uh, so three days a week I do Oaxaca, and that's tearing around the restaurants around the country, um, around London, and a lot of work in sight, which is, which is really fun and lovely, but spending so much time at home has really released a kind of inner creative and I and it's been really lovely cooking uh, a lot all the time and and I've um I've done more social media than I have ever really done because I find the juggle of you know running the restaurants having my column the children mm. it's just a lot and so I've always found social media kind of falls down a bit um I've had a bit more time to do that and it's been it's been really fun mm. um Although, although the trouble with the social media is you go on it and then you always then think, my God, they're doing so much more and they're doing it so much better. But I try not to deal with that because I think I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s. I should be grown up enough to like deal with yeah, that. Yeah, and also it's probably not the case. And anyway, it's fun. It's just, it is fun. If you just focus on what you're doing, I find that is a really good maximum in life. And I've always found it with my recipe writing. I try not to, when I'm coming out of recipes, I try not to gaze at what other people are doing just focus on what I what crops up in my head and what yeah. I feel creative yeah. about and then that's normally the best way forward anyway so lots of cooking I've become I'm one of the cliche sourdough makers ah uh, yeah uh, and, we have a mother in our fridge uh, at the moment so yeah we're also making sourdough at home. yeah which is like so satisfying <laughs> it really is and that's been my favorite that's my favorite lockdown thing to like chow around my neighbors and give them a loaf of sourdough and and, and kind of say hi on their doorsteps that was good oh, and also our local lovely. school I was giving the teachers sourdough so I think at the beginning I made it really obsessively like I was making two loaves every day or every other day I've just calmed down a bit now I think real life is starting to kind of creep back in yeah but it's interesting because what you're saying about that desire to cook at home I mean obviously cooking is your day job but it's actually also just how to nourish a family how to spend time together how to feel like at the end of a day no matter what else you haven't done you've managed to achieve making a meal and a really tasty meal to sit down because I know in our house 
we've been cooking loads as well. Rich has been doing loads of amazing recipes. I think it's just a way to channel that energy. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's fun. It is there. I know some, you know, my, some of my girlfriends don't enjoy cooking as much, and some of them really love it. And I think if you love it, you know, basically if you're greedy and you love eating, then at the end of it you get delicious food which is what you want Mm. and then the process of it I find really calming and you know there's something really lovely about listening to the radio or having the television on in the background or chatting to someone you know having a drink if you want to and just pottering around in the kitchen yeah creating essentially yeah so yeah I think it's great and the generosity of it as well I mean when you say you're taking around your neighbours and going to the school and seeing the teachers there's a there's a lot of ways to say to show appreciation and affection for people and when you cook them something to eat well, hospitality. I, I'm reading a book called Zootopia, which is about how we feed ourselves in the future. It's quite heavyweight, so I've been going through it fairly slowly. But it is a brilliant book by Karen Steele, and a lot of it is how society has changed over the thousands of years. But essentially, you know, food is what we survive on. Mm. You know, without food, we die. And I think that complete we we've lost a lot of that connection. That not only is it survival, but you know, over thousands of years, it's been a way that we communicate. You know, we used to make fire. When we found fire, before that, it was, it was harder. But once we found fire, it became a centre place of a cave or wherever you were to sit around together and be able to, like, chat and, and yeah, break bread together. And mm. it, it, for, for me, it is the most fundamental way to enjoy yourself. Dancing, you know, yeah. so obviously there's sex, which is great. Um, but food... You know, if eating with your friends, sharing food, there's just yeah. no greater pleasure. It's, it's idyllic. Yeah. I just find it, yeah, the and pleasure. Like, and if you're in a couple with young children in lockdown, making food is probably easier than achieving some of the other things that are on that list. Yeah. When you suddenly got, like, kids everywhere and no time to yourself sometimes. Yeah, kids, kids, <laughs> at, kids at home while you're trying to get work done is, um, is a struggle. Yeah, so you've got three little girls, haven't yeah. you? And did, so the two birthdays you've had in the last two weeks, is that two of your daughters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we had a nine a nine year old party and a four year old party. When I say party, I tried to make it as much party atmosphere as possible. Yeah. Um, but we did we did fun stuff. We kind of made our own pizzas and we um, we did we yeah we did kind of throwing the eggs um, and then you know frantic hand washing after that mm-hmm. um, with their you know six people we were allowed in the garden. Oh, that's sweet. So oh, that was that, that was quite actually. good actually. Yeah, we've got we've got um, my husband's lockdown. Uh, mission was clearing he filled three skips of detritus from the garden wow over lockdown single-handedly that's actually a a large amount yeah so um that kept him quite busy so our gardens actually was perfect for um for egg throwing competitions and stuff like that i think the you know the focus on home and doing the big sort outs this morning actually before i came to you i was organizing the big pile of stuff we've got for charity shop and putting it all in different places and i i'm really looking forward to being able to move it on now because I did so much clearing and sorting and polishing I, I ended up dusting things that haven't been dusted for about a decade yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which by the way I might point out it's really good for a couple of days and then after about a month it kind of looks the same as it did before that anyway yeah I feel like 10 years dust and two weeks dust doesn't look massively different on the shelf but maybe that's just me <laughs> and a comment on my own I don't know my state of my house um so we should probably talk a bit about life before lockdown, really. Um, because, so obviously food is, and cooking is, is something that's been your day job, what, since you, around the time of MasterChef? Or was that the time when it really, is it something, when I was reading up about it, it seemed like MasterChef was a sort of 
simultaneous moment where you thought, actually, this is the thing I really want to do. Yeah, that was definitely a catalyst. Although actually, even going back before that, I spent three months in Ireland um, at Ballymaloo, um, which is a lovely kind of gentle cooking school um, in, 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 in Southern Ireland. And I, essentially, I'd always cooked like, from the age of six. I, I used to find playing at home, I just couldn't do it. I was really bad at it. I, I used to get really jealous of my brother and sister who'd spent hours really happily playing with the dolls and stuff. And I'd just get, end up causing trouble and getting, you know, being in trouble. So I used to just sit by my mother and stir pots with her and, and learn how. I, I was really fascinated by how she could make quite humble ingredients taste really delicious. She had this clever knack. So I, I was always really into it. And then all through childhood, like, you know, trying to earn money at school. I used to earn pocket money by cooking for their, for their friends. And, um, really? You know, when you were that young? Well, yeah, it was just anyway to get some cash in. Like, yeah. my parents had very little cash. So I was kind of... And I, I really loved it. I, I mean... So how old were you when you were doing that when you were cooking? Well, like 13, 14. Really? I mean, I really, um, I really did... Um, That's very entrepreneurial. Well, I, I just really loved it as well. It was kind of... It was, a, it was a, also, I think, you know, we had quite... I, my childhood felt um, quite tense and difficult and um, not that happy looking back. And I think cooking for people was that way of getting praise mm. I think that was a really kind of quite crucial part of having a bit of attention mm. and and having praise and being made to feel special because I think I probably didn't feel that special in other pots so there's definitely and I think probably when you talk to chefs and cooks there's quite a big aspect of that I think you know that 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 lovely warm feeling you get when you put some lovely food in someone else's tummy yeah. you know and that kind of love you get back from it is is kind of is quite a lovely you know, if you're if you're a people pleaser, yes. I guess. Um, so, but 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 equally, I was at the, I was at St Paul's in, in a day school in London, which is super academic. And my father, who had totally failed to make money, um, uh, had had always said, "Come on, you've got this brilliant brain. You need to earn loads of money. Then you can do whatever you want." And so I had this kind of pressure, both for me and the school, and and I guess for my parents to use your brain. And and so I spent almost um well I well I definitely buckled at, you know after leaving school I buckled under all sorts of pressure and failed mm. to get into Oxford uh really screwed up my degree and you know generally things started kind of falling apart and so in my 20s when I felt like I should have been becoming you know a rich banker or or acing it in or wanting I think I really wanted to do fashion or there were all these things I was trying to do and cooking always in those days cooking wasn't cool like it is now mm. and so you either are like a kind of butch chef in a kitchen I mean I didn't even know any chefs to be honest and and restaurants there weren't as many we never ate in them anyway um or there was that kind of you know boarding school girl doing a kind of you know doing a doing a bit of season in a skiing lodge and doing her own catering and I just didn't really identify with either stereotype mm. and I didn't really see so cooking as a career never really I never really even thought it was possible really uh so then I spent like I've, I call it my like decade in the wasteland where I was really struggling with quite bad mental health and 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 just feeling a total failure just just kind of the wilderness years of thinking, okay, I'll try this next and I'll try that next. And then it, no, nothing really ever sticking. And then I was in a fashion show. I was in a, on a, in a catwalk show with, um, for a, a kind of countryside charity. 
And I was there with Clarissa Dixon White, who was one of the two fat ladies who, and I used to love that programme. And she was so reverent, but also really bright. You know, she'd been the youngest woman to the bar at age 21 and, uh, and, and yet had kind of given up law for, for cooking. And so I remember, you know, backstage being made up and her just saying, my God, if you love food, what, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? You should be cooking. And, and no one had really said that to me before. How old were you when that was? 26, Okay, I think. And she phoned up Drina Allen, who ran Ballymaloo, and got me bumped up the waiting list. Um, and literally two weeks before the beginning of a term of this school, they phoned up and said, you've got a place if you want it. Uh, and I went off with my um, Citroen 2CV, green and white, stripy reef. I mean, the Irish used to love me. They just <laughs> laughed everywhere I drove. They just, I was the laughing stock of Ireland, basically, <laughs> in my little 2CV. But um, I went and I had this really magical three months mm. just creating and cooking and learning. And afterwards, I, I went out further out into West Cork and made cheese for three months and, and was making sourdough breads and selling at market stalls, um, with another chef called Claudia McKenna and just living this dream and just thinking, my God, I finally, what took me so long? This is, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. Um, so that was really magical. And it was a couple of years after that I did MasterChef because I still, I don't think I identified, I think I'd, I think I'd failed for so long that I, you know, the idea I could suddenly be a chef, um, I found a struggle to believe in. And, um, and I guess also I, I just couldn't reconcile the idea of you know working all night never seeing my friends it was kind of it was just it was quite contrary to everything I'd been brought up mm. and then and then and then when I did MasterChef it was just it was just amazing I, I mean to do this I, I lived in Mexico so I went out and lived in Mexico for a year and I came back and I was really down on, on you know having no money for quite a long time really quite desperate 29 years old still not really knowing what I was doing I knew I was going to do food um and and I just saw this ad- advertisement and and so I just sorry there's the builders outside that's no, all the worry. noise we're hearing don't worry um it's all good um and uh yeah I just saw this advertisement and I just something called it was just like I just think fate is so strong in life something yes. in me just made me fill out that advertisement I didn't tell anyone about it it was too embarrassing but I remember making mishing it down to the audition and there were so many things that could have stopped me, but in every turn, fate was on my side and just mm. pushed me forward to kind of come into this. And I remember just bursting in this audition. It was the last one of that series, which was the first ever series, and just talking at them a million miles an hour, just being full of ideas and madness. And, you know, I had this dish that I prepared them that had ended up all over the Royston station platform. And I realised <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to drive in because it was Friday and I was driving in from a cooking job in Norfolk. And it was all like, it was so crazy, but it was, it kind of, it was great. And, and I ended up doing MasterChef. It was just so terrifying. And I'd never been filmed or done anything like that on telly before. But I just was so passionate about food. And I think that really yeah. shone through. Um, and it was amazing because when I won, I just couldn't believe it because I'd been screwing up for 10 years, essentially. Like, everything I did seemed to just fall apart. And then suddenly, you know, I remember John and Greg just going, you know, they're basically like, this is, you're really good at this. And no one had said that for so long. You know, yeah. even now I'm getting t- tears in my eyes. So, um, so that was amazing. But then I definitely felt like I was on catch-up because you know, I was 29 and then all Which these kids were cooking. very young, especially yeah. in the world where you can cook, you know. Well, now it seems so young. Yeah, exactly. But at that time, I know that feeling. I too went to a, 
an academic girls' school not far from where you went, actually. And that pressure to make something of the academia being offered and then also to know what it is you're supposed to be doing. There's so many people I know that went through real wobbles in their 20s, early 20s, mid-20s, thinking, I've sort of come out the other side of that system. I still don't really know what my thing is. And listening to you talk, there's obviously all these trails that led to the bit where, you know as you say, fate almost like took you by the shoulder. Like, Look, it really is cooking, you know? <laughs> Have we not shown you enough clues now? But, but during those moments, especially if the idea of making it into a, what you do for a living is so far away from what you were being encouraged to do or the, what you're being shown or examples you had around you. So it's, um, I think it's actually really reassuring that you don't have to know for a really long time, actually, when it isn't a long time, but you know what I mean? It, it is, yeah, I think... You can wait till you're nearly 30 and still be finding your thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the wise oracles, I used to love hanging out with old people because they always seem to have these pearls of wisdom, but I never quite understood them. And, you know, <laughs> things like just enjoy the journey and, you know, that's that's the part of it. Mm. And you still have to remind yourself, you know, my age, you still have to remind yourself that life is about the journey. It's not necessarily about where you're getting to because where you're getting to anyway, what is that end point? What does it mean? What does it stand for? So, yeah, definitely the journey. And, I, you know, whenever I talk to young people, and I do sometimes go into schools, I, I always say that the hardest thing is to know what it is and Definitely. you're still finding that out you know sometimes people start writing when they're 70 years old yeah and that's fantastic and I think that's the most reassuring thing the flip side of it is that we're constantly evolving and I actually think women are better evolving than men because you don't need to have a plan to evolve you can just mm. kind of follow your nose and your gut instinct and yeah. I think we're quite good at that um and I think and listening to your gut instinct without necessarily having it all like laid out um so I think you know life is about a constant involvement it is definitely and I think it's funny because I too have found myself saying that to people so you know just enjoy the getting there because sometimes I'll meet someone who might I don't know want to want to be a musician they're like how do I get a record deal and they're like well you mustn't see the record deal as like the holy grail because actually you always look back on this bit where you're allowed to create what you want, do what you want, make mistakes and you'll look back and think actually that was a real halcyon period. Yeah. But even now in my 40s I don't think I've totally practiced what I preach all the time because I no. feel like sometimes I'm in a bit of a hurry with the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And like we were saying with the social media and you know, if you look at stuff and you think oh other people are doing so much more and there's so many other things and Certainly with lockdown, when it started, I felt such pressure to be productive and creative and like, well, surely this is when I should write some amazing piece of music or I should write something or something should come out of this. And be able to just relax and think, no, it's, it's actually okay if we're just getting by this bit, actually. Yeah, because you are just getting by. I mean, the lockdown just was insane. Just the exhaustion so of, like, tidying the house, cleaning the floor, yeah. you know, mopping after three messy kids or, you know, more. Mm. Um, and just, just keeping Constant. the ball going. It was, yeah, yeah even that. Uh, yeah, I, I did definitely, you know, I've got a few girlfriends who've got no kids. And I did definitely sometimes find myself looking at them just thinking, God, they're the clever ones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think you've been getting on with quite a lot, actually, Tom. I think been, so when, when you had your first baby, did you always think you were going to be a, a mum while you were in your life? Was that something you always hoped for? Well, I just don't remember this, but my friends at school <laughs> say that I was always bound to be the one who had four kids, and I just don't remember that. But then I guess because finding the career took so long and then also, you know, the, the kind of the mental health was quite a big thing um, for me. So I was really up and down in the, the, my 20s so it actually took me quite a long time to settle down with someone because mm. I was just a bit nuts um so so then I think that put you know babies on the back burner a bit yeah. 
And then, you know, and then I met my business partner. We started doing Oaxaca. And then I was really busy doing that. So uh, so then, you know, Mark and I didn't meet till I guess, I was, well, I was definitely in my 30s. And I was also living, I remember a lot of my friends were setting down when I was living in Mexico. And I didn't really know why I was in Mexico either. But it's just one of those gut things you do yeah. where you just... And that's like, such a big part of... Big part of my life, yeah. yeah. You know, I loved the food. I went traveling there when I was 18, and something made me go and run a cocktail bar in Mexico City and live there for a year. So that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> that was quite a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, Mexico City is a lot of fun. So, um, so yeah, I think um, I've lost my train of thought completely. Well, I was just asking you about, I suppose, when you, if you always thought you'd be a mum, and then how, when that's, I mean, so you're already running Oaxaca. So when, when you met Mark, your, um, your husband, because yeah. it's have to make differentiation between your business partner, Mark, and your husband, Mark. Uh, so Oaxaca was already established at that point, was it? You'd already been, been running? We had, um, I think I think we had just started it. I think we had just started it, or we were starting it. Um, and but we, but we took, you know, I think we took quite a long time to kind of make up our minds. And then, but, but it is funny, once, I mean, I, I just love babies. I just love children. And I think... Um, then my friends remind me that I always loved children and I think I think my first two though I was on such a mission because I think I felt I'd wasted so many years my wilderness years I was called um not achieving that then once I'd started working in food I was on a proper mission and I was working I was working so hard and it was almost a form of therapy to avoid mm. thinking about anything else anyway and a lovely excuse not to have to do anything else but work yeah. I, I think it is quite a handy excuse to be able to just blame work on everything um, no, that's actually and, a really interesting thing to say I think that, that really resonates Yeah, you can always just say work and it does become this place where you can put so much stuff yeah yeah, exactly an excuse not to do so many things that yes. maybe you should be doing like you know nurturing relationships or family or, or whatever um, so I, I worked through I do remember though you know, when you have your first child, I do remember. So I went to my mother's for a month, um, uh, which was really magical. And then I remember getting home by myself for the first time with this baby. And, you know, they can't really talk back to you. And that loneliness, that sense of loneliness and, and that terror of like, am I going to do this right? Am, am I going to get mm. it all wrong? I remember phoning my sister the day I arrived back home from being with my mother for a month, going, can you come and stay, please? And I think it's really hardcore, you know, whether you work or not just that that first time with your child at home um and so I did I definitely worked through my first two um maternity leaves quite hard I wrote I wrote a book both my first two maternity leaves and then my third wow. maternity leave I managed to write a book before I gave birth so I was only editing but then the third maternity leave there was a bit of a gap between the, the tatty arrived tatty took quite a long time to arrive and then Otter just happened really quickly after that so they were quite close together the first two and I think that that was hardcore anyway because I was just exhausted from working so hard as well and then I had a proper break and I think we were really because I I care so much about environment and I was really finding my catholic guilt kind of going should you have another baby shouldn't you you know all this kind of thing and then she just happened and then um but that was quite a big chunk of time and I think the lovely thing is by that time, you realise how special it is and how quickly that baby bit goes. Mm. And I just remember this blissful time, uh, just, you know, holding her and hugging her. And she was the most delightful kind of huggy baby <laughs> and, and uh, properly in bliss. But, um, but halfway through that, um, 
that actually I'm not even to say that we can edit that but I was about to say halfway through that maternity leave we got no virus in the restaurants so I was uncomfortably oh. forced back into work but maybe it's not a good thing to bring that up well I suppose the only thing that is impressive about I know it's not an easy thing to talk about because it's a horrible association but I think the way you handled it all was brilliant and had real integrity and I think also you've had to overcome something which for a lot of businesses would have been something they could never really come back from. But Oaxaca's got such a solid reputation and it is a really, as someone who goes there with my kids and my family a lot, it's a very consistently happy and good environment to be in. And all the people that work there are lovely and all those little details that really make the difference between feeling like a valued customer and just being a customer. So I think what you experienced with that must have been so stressful and just you look back and think, I can't believe we got through it. But you did. Do you, it sounds so naff. There's that corporate idea of having company values. But we created these values when we started work together. And we were quite young when we set up Wacker. But we were f- really evangelical about the idea of having a company that would be fun to come and work in, mm. where people li- just really enjoyed themselves. And where you know we were basically non-hierarchical and everyone could get by and we'd give people training so they could go and get other jobs. And you know, I think hospitality is such an amazing industry because you can take anyone off the street who's got you know issues um self-confidence issues you know anyone can thrive and and blossom yeah. and and then go on to do something else it is the most you know all embracing encompassing taking anyone in and i love that people from all walks of life all nationalities um both sexes we've got such a great amount of women you know, running our restaurants and our mm. managers. And I, I'm so proud of that aspect of hospitality, which mm. is often seen as this kind of underdog of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a career, and yet which is creative and independent and, you know, you get to really think on your, 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 your feet about stuff and then you get to create delicious food. Um, and the values that we created really held fast at norovirus. You know, we really relied on them to govern every... You know, like the lawyers were like, don't admit any culpability, don't say you're sorry. And we were just like, no, of course we're going to say we're sorry. Yeah. You know, not food poisoning. It came, it happened. But we made people ill. And we've got to say sorry for that. Yeah. You can't... And, and funny enough, it, it, in lockdown, that has played out again um, because... I have been so proud of our company through lockdown because mm. we have been cooking um, with Angela Hartnett and, and um, Food 19, Cook 19 for ICU units. Um, and we have been... So I set, helped set up a charity called Chefs and Schools with Nicole Pisani and, and Henry Dimbleby um, a couple of years ago. I'm a trustee. Um, and so we've also been feeding, um, you know, underprivileged kids in quite a few schools in South London. And when I come into my sites and I hang out with my managers and my chefs who are coming in on their own time, who are so delighted to be there, mm. to be helping someone else and to be just doing something that's productive and useful, but also having so much fun with it and yeah. being cheeky and fun and naughty and all that kind of stuff. It, that makes me feel so proud. And, and this, just the camaraderie of our company as, as, we've, as we've coped through this really difficult time for restaurants, actually. Definitely, a really difficult time for restaurants, but... It's interesting because you've spoken a lot about the wilderness years and how it's, it's kind of given you this impetus to make good use of the time now and how you felt like you actually arrived at things later than you should have done. But actually, if you hadn't had that 10 years, there's so much about how you've handled the work and how you've set up the company uh, that those values probably would have been really different because 
even hearing you talk about if people have got, you know, confidence issues or they haven't, you know, got amazing academic results or whatever, if they can come in from any background and make you something delicious to eat, you're going to say, that tastes amazing, you're really clever for doing that, and it can build people up. Yeah. That's obviously been a big part of your experience too, and giving people that self-esteem and wanting that to be infused in what represents people when they come to work for the day, it probably wouldn't have happened in that way if it hadn't been something that was so significant to you. Well, I definitely think that, you know, looking back, when life gives you knocks, and, you know, I think very few people go through all of their lives without any knocks. Yeah. But maybe some people get the knocks later on. But maybe actually it's quite useful to get knocks quite early on because you're right, it does shape you. And it definitely makes you think more, probably, in a different way. And I think yeah. that's probably quite a good thing. I think so. I mean, it's horrible when you're going through it. It's, it's the pits. But I think there's also something quite um, good about not being afraid of it all going wrong anymore because you've had it happen. Yeah. And that's one of the things that experience can give you, isn't it? You think, OK, I've literally had every... Oh, <laughs> you feel like you've had like every worst-case scenario. And you got through it. And it was okay, actually. It's not very nice, but it's okay. You do get through it. And I think, yeah, I kind of definitely think that it's, it's a weird thing to even hope that with your kids that they have bits, these, these sort of peaks and troughs will be the things that they kind of need to go through and you're not going to be able to protect them from it. But actually it'll end up being hopefully something where they'll learn quite a lot. The things that make them. I yeah. mean, yeah, all the teachers, that's the first thing they say, it's teach them that mistakes are fine. Because mm. that's how you learn. You yeah. learn through your mistakes, don't you? And you just hope the mistakes are you know, not going to completely take you down. <laughs> I know, exactly. And I also, I don't know if this is normal, but I spend a lot of time while, I don't know if I get cross with the kids about something or if I'm in a bad mood or a bit distracted with something and then I'll kind of go back later and say I'm really sorry about that but I feel like now they just think that I'm always going to come back and say the sorry so sometimes especially with my older ones they'll be like yeah I was I was waiting for you to come back in half an hour and say actually it's fine you can do that I'm sorry I snapped at you they've kind of built it in now as a sort of like what's going to happen Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So when, when you were... Um Working, did you always think that you would go back to a hacker and run? I mean, it sounds like from your first baby, you were like, Well, I, well, I actually, so it, it, in those maternity leaves, I had breaks from the restaurant. I stayed in touch with them and I still talked to my business partner all the time. But what I was still always doing was writing um, and doing recipes. And, and then just generally, you know, I, I find, um, I find myself getting involved in projects. And at the moment, I'm going, you know, in my house through lockdown, just coming out of it, I've gone through a period of wondering if I'll ever work again. You know, am I, am I the type of person that actually produces stuff? Or, or do I just, you know, will I ever really ever be able to produce anything again? You get those kind of moments of doubt. And then I look back over the kind of crazy things I come up with. Like we did a thing called the pig idea, which was essentially we raised, um, we reared eight pigs in Stepney City Farm on allowable food waste. Uh, and then we had a big banquet. Um, we slaughtered six of the pigs um, and fed 5,000 people on, in Trafalgar Square. I did it with Tristan wow. Stewart. Um, uh, and it was basically to shine a light on the fact that um, after foot and mouth, the government and then the whole of Europe um, banned swill as an industry. Right. So instead of recycling our food waste, which is the most ecological thing to do, we just chuck it out. Although now we are composting some of it, but the best way to do it is to give it to livestock. Um, and then obviously the flip side of not giving um, food waste to livestock is that we're cutting down the Amazon to feed livestock. Mm. So, um, so... It, you know, the great thing for me about lockdown is that so many people are starting to think about these issues, about yeah. where our food comes from. And because we, you know, we, we do not have enough, we will not have enough food to feed everyone the way we're going it, unless we stop eating so much meat. I eat meat. I, I love beef. You know, actually chicken and pork are more harmful at the moment to the planet than beef and lamb, which are really good ways of locking in carbon. You know, you put out cattle to graze on grassland, not in kind of big shed feedlots, but actually on grassland. And they're really good at sinking carbon and keeping that carbon in the soil. So they're actually quite ecologically friendly to, to have a bit of beef every now and then, not like a whole load of it, obviously. Um, but also just in terms of how we manage our soil, how mm. we look after it. Because great civilizations died out overnight pretty much by, by you, you know, complete soil erosion, you mm. know, wearing down their soil, intensely farming. And, you know, they did that in Palenque. I remember this amazing trip I did to Palenque. And the, the head of the um, archaeological um, uh, department in Mexico City flew out to show me around the ruins with my parents. It was so cool. And Tati was like nine months old. And um, and he, they, he said, you know, we'd done carbon analysis and they basically chopped down all the trees. They were building the pyramids. They overused, they had a population explosion and they ruined the soil and they died out after, you know, having ruled for a thousand years, they died out after about 20. And, you know, we just, these wow. patterns we see and, and I don't feel, I don't feel like doom and gloom about it. I feel like this hope that every single one of us has such power 
just on how we eat because mm. food and how it's transported how it's grown uses more energy and more water than any other industry mm. so then if we all just have a bit of kind of excitement about yes i can do this i can eat more vegetables i can buy locally i can go to my local market yeah. and that is helping save the planet it's helping mm. save species it's helping to protect the rainforest and we can all do it i i think there's a real empowerment about that that i feel you know everyone can get behind because i think so much of life is disempowering these days with technology yeah. and huge corporations and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer so much of it feels un- disempowering yeah. But I think food is such a political thing and that's why I'm so endlessly fascinated by it. And I guess, you know, now that I'm talking to you, the idea that I'm not going to come up with some other project is so laughable because the moment I start talking about this stuff, I feel so passionate about it. Yeah, that I'm I know. not worried about your projects, like, <laughs> at all. <laughs> not even a, there's not even a glimmer of, of worry about that. Um, I was actually really thinking about that because I think as a consumer... I would like it to be there to be more disclosure about what's in season and when you look at a menu for there to be more information about where the where the eggs have come from where the meats come from where your vegetables because I think most people will don't really give a lot of thought about where their foods come from or whether it's local or not um and sometimes you know when you go to, to buy your your local you know go go to the supermarket or get your delivery whatever is convenient for most people because everybody has time to go and go around you know farmers markets and things just having it where it goes like if you just want to see the seasonal options that are local just click this and then that just shows what's available yeah, yeah. i'd love that or in a restaurant if they go sorry we we've marked here because that's actually not free range i mean you don't even know half the time where things have come from you don't know you yeah. don't know and and then the difficult i think the difficult crux of it also is that we 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 pay very little for our food uh yeah and 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 yet we pay a lot for our food at the same time so at the checkout we pay very little but then the nhs which we pay for in our taxes has a um, huge billions and billions it's a third of the nhs budget it's now um diet related disease mm-hmm. um a diet kills more people now than, than smoking-related disease or, or, or alcohol-related disease. It's the biggest killer worldwide. And that's in developed nations as oh, well as developing. It? So people uh, and this country, you know, the link between coronavirus and diet is quite bleak. Um, we eat more ultra-processed food in this country than any other nation in Europe. And and yet we think it's allowable. This, this country blocked... Um, banning glyphosate um which is a chemical we spray on our fields and also um big um companies spray it on wheat after they've um picked it to dry it quicker so they can process it quicker and make more money mm. um and this idea that, that that the people in charge of making our food are governed by profit and nothing else mm. you know glyphosate's have been linked to alzheimer's um to dementia to diabetes to cancer to so many diseases Mm. and they tried to ban across europe and you know i I just think at some stage we've got to realize how crucial is the food that we put in our body um how we treat the soil and how linked it is to the to life to the rainforest to species to insects even the the earthworm you know we're losing all our insects without the earthworm our soil is nothing so it's all linked and that again it's not meaning to be depressive if we can all take more interest in how we eat and what we eat and more pleasure in it and allow yeah. ourselves time for it. And maybe this whole, 
you know, technological revolution where we get more robots. You know, some people say we'll only work four days a week because there won't be enough work to do. Mm. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we'll spend more time going to fields and picking food ourselves or going to the markets or just preparing a meal because also being able to cook. And that's one of the work that Chefs in Schools does, which is this amazing charity, is it teaches kids about food and how to cook because it's so enabling. If you don't know how to cook and you also live in a flat that's been designed badly, uh, that's got no proper kitchen in it, then that's really disenabling to be able to feed yourself. But you can feed yourself really cheaply if you do know how to cook and how to make an onion taste delicious and how to make some black beans taste delicious and you know feed yourself with nutritious grains and yeah you know not not rely on really expensive no when you say it it sounds like such an obvious thing you wonder why it's not just a really stable part of the curriculum anyway that to make make it so people can feed themselves well and you start to wonder sort of sort of like more cynical and i've thought of like what's what's the benefit in keeping people so they can't always make their own decisions and they can't you know is it is there some sort of economic bonus where people will actually just go and buy processed food or feel they have other ways to feed themselves when they don't have the basic tools of just making themselves something nice to eat but also i think the economics is that the 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 small guy doesn't win so the small guy we're talking about the farmers who are looking after the soil not spraying them with loads of chemicals looking after wildlife they get the worst deal they're Mm -hmm. not getting the most of their money um Whereas often it's the industrialised huge companies that do make the money from processing the food, growing mm. monocrops um, and, and then processing them to kind of cheap ready meals. But then which we pay for by the, the river pollution, by the lack of the, the need to keep on putting more and more fertilisers mm. on soil that's knackered and dying. And so, yeah, there are lots of hidden costs. And I think we need to start being honest about those costs. And also the government needs to start being honest about how to help poorer people be able to eat better food because mm. it's often the most disadvantaged kids who are not given access to fruit and vegetables because yeah. they cost more relatively than you know sugar and oil and stuff like that is isn't often um anyway subsidized um and you know it should be fresh fruit and vegetables that are subsidized and and yeah. you know bought locally in local kind of networks because that supports farmers and we know that most economies are run by small medium businesses mm. so if you can look after those businesses basically everyone's okay yeah you know if huge large companies so anyway i guess it's quite socialist i guess it is but but there's a sense to it all you know, look after the farmers, feed them a fair wage, look after the poor people, make sure they've got access to these fruit yeah. and vegetables and not just next door to a corner shop that only sells processed yeah, food yeah. that then costs the government a fortune anyway in poor attention at school, yeah. in uh, diabetes, you know, obesity, all that stuff. None of yeah. that is for free. No, I know. I mean, when you're saying I, I, there must be so many countries in Europe that just look at us and think, why are they getting these basics so wrong? But do you know what the scary thing is? That globally, it's all moving that way. You know, even countries oh, like France, and, you know, fact. because the multinational companies make a lot of money by persuading us to eat their ultra-processed food. That's what they spend all their marketing budget on. Mm. You compare to how much the government spends on marketing fresh fruit and vegetables to the nation. It might be, you know, 10 million or something. And you compare that to the hundreds of millions yeah. that companies spend trying to convince us that, you know, dairy milks are delicious, buy some more chips, buy a bigger pack of crisps, buy a Marlong Snicker bar, because that's much yeah. more fun than having a single sticker. You know, and then you, you get these kind of, you know, far right. I mean, I heard this young woman on a, on a radio show going, people aren't idiots. They know that food's not bad for them. All they have to do is say no. 
And I think that's rubbish. Yeah, that is rubbish. You know, it's being marketed, 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 marketed to all yeah. of us. And, we're, you know, we're all human. And we're yeah. also we're designed to, to seek out fat and sugar and salt. And the combination of all of them is completely delicious and unavoidably kind of addictive. Yeah, and there's also an emotional tie. Like, I think so much of your relationship with food is probably sealed before you're even double digits. So if you were given those things as a kid, then there's like a... Emotional resonance isn't there and comfort in that. And, and you develop a taste. You yeah. develop a taste. You lose yeah. your taste. It took me fresh. ages for the Golden Arches not to have a sort of Pavlovian, yeah. I'm hungry yeah. response just from looking at the Golden M. It was crazy. Like, yeah. it took it's way, like, over a decade probably yeah, yeah. from when I actually stopped eating McDonald's. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it I just totally had that hold over me from when I was tiny. Yeah, and still, when I'm tired, the first thing I do is reach for junk food. It mm. is, there's something comforting about it. You know, it tastes delicious. Of course it tastes delicious. There's a reason why they're making billions of pounds mm. of profit. Is this something you talk about with your daughters a lot? Are they really aware of all these things? I don't actually talk to them about it. Basically, we, we, we I, you know, I try and... You know, we love we love food. We eat loads of butter and olive oil, and I don't. I'm not really precious about sugar, and we don't do low fat anything. We don't do alternative sugar anything because I I find that's just another fad. And you know, all my all the females in my family were models, and my mother was quite anorexic, and I basically grew up with so many food issues. And I you know I had food issues all through my twenties, and it it was like a chain around my neck. It, it dominated everything. All I thought about was how fat I was how awful you know it's those punishing messages and I'm completely free of it now and you know I eat crap sometimes and I don't but generally I feel better when I'm eating food that is delicious but I eat whatever I want whenever I want no rules Mm. and I don't want my daughters to have any rules or any you know and I'm sure I'll give them some issues and I'm sure you know stuff you hand down without meaning to definitely yeah but um but basically I don't no, I mean, we just we actually just don't eat processed food here. So they don't even see it. Um, but, you know, once they go to university, they'll probably have a field day. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like, wow, this is great. We never had this at home. <laughs> yeah, it's bright pack- packaging and everything. Yeah. Very exciting. Because Oaxaca is a very sort of family place. Was that something that was there before you had a family? Or do you think that that's sort of grown with the company as you've also raised your... Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we ever meant it to be family, but it just. It just kind of is fun. And I think that kind of food is fun for kids. You know, where they can be the the, the masters of their own invention. They can build their own tacos. They can put whatever they want in it. And it. You know, those small plates. I think are great because if you've got a small appetite, it's nicer to see small things and yeah. it's colourful. And I think, funny enough, you know, you go to Mexico and the whole, the whole culture is, is, is welcoming for kids. Yeah. You know, it's that hot, typical Latin um, atmosphere where kids are up really late at parties with grown-ups and stuff. And I think there's something quite irrepressible about Mexican culture. And maybe that's what kids love about going to Oaxaca. Because, yeah. you know, it's, you, you can't help feeling... You just always feel that slight bit of excitement. It's true. You know? It's got real energy, hasn't it? Like it's a little got, buzz. Yeah, and and that is, you know, that's down to our staff, our, our like our angelic. You know, I feel so lucky. We have such cool staff parties. You know, we we've got these amazing people who work. Uh, you know, and it's just it's great, it's so great. Plus, you get to have loads of tequila, which definitely helps. Awesome, <laughs> always helps. Tequila always yeah, helps. That really helps a staff party on yeah. its way, I think, or yeah. a lockdown as it happens. Yeah, um, yeah, I drank a lot of tequila this lockdown. Oh my god, so did we. Richard makes a good margarita, so yeah, every Friday night we would do these little 
discos in our kitchen. Your amazing discos. Yes. It became like a real anchor for us. And then we used to, it was basically the closest we got to like a night out because after that we put the little two to bed and then let the older one stay up for a bit late. And then we'd have a couple of cocktails and eat something nice. And it was like a Friday night. And it just meant like we actually got shaped to the weekend. I, we definitely have done Friday night cocktails. Definitely. Yeah, and yeah. Really, you need something just yeah. to kind of. Otherwise, all the days blur into one. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally with you. It's funny because my mum, I'm not using this to advocate drinking during lockdown or, or at any point by the way but my mum she hasn't really been drinking at all and she was like it's no different I, I could have been having a drink every evening it's no different so I think Richard and I at one point he said I think I might have a bit of time off and I was like I'm not it's like so nice to get to the end of a day and then like a glass of something it's just punctuation of like well done yeah. another day happened <laughs> the sun will rise again tomorrow it all rolls it all rolls and um what was I going to ask you? I suppose, listening to you talk, I kind of get the impression that a lot of your drive and passion and all the things you've got going on and the, the books and the projects, they would all be going on whether you'd had children or not and it feels like your kids are kind of along for the ride. But would you say that's a fair thing or do you think that they have actually kind of influenced your creativity or influenced the, the choices you've made? I think, I think they are definitely... I think that's fair that it would be all happening anyway. Um... Because it's my passion, you know, my work is my passion. But um, but they are also my passion, and I think um, I think the world's quite scary actually when you've got children and you think about their future and, mm. and what's going to happen in the future. So I think, um, but also they put a check on my work, and I think um, I think definitely, you know, number three, you know, once you've got three children, there's no real hope of. Of, of some level of work you know you, 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 there's no way you can work through all your weekends anymore mm. and, and you know you can't necessarily work till midnight every night because you're just too shattered so I think um, that really nice side I remember always fearing about becoming such a hardcore businesswoman that I'd lose all kind of softness and kind of you know I just become like one of those really hardcore but who are one of those hardcore you know that feels almost bad you know calling out to my sisterhood anyway but I didn't want to be so focused that all I had was work mm. um, I think people are really important to me and I, I really love having their little bodies and their little natures and they can be maddening sometimes but they're just they're also really good fun they're mm. really fun and, and and it's fun having them around and I think that is fun uh, and I'm, I'm not necessarily I think lots of ways I'm a really bad mother like I'm really creative in the kitchen I'm really bad any of the lockdown school you know, projects. I yeah, mean, shoot me. So rubbish at being a teacher. So rubbish. But, but I did know that about myself already, so at least it wasn't a big revelation. No, exactly. I'm fully aware. <laughs> I was fully aware as well. But, you know, I think it's fun having them along the ride. And if I can make their lives fun in any way, and, you know, I just, you know, you just want them to be great people, don't you? Who yeah. kind of give a shit about the world as well Definitely. but also keep having fun because in the end of the day we're just we're put in the world for a short time to have a few children or not and to have some fun as my mother says what what else are we here for yeah. really in the large scheme of being a small planet in a big you know solar system yeah well also it sounds like when you're saying about your childhood and that was quite quite serious and you weren't always having lots of fun it sounds like that's something that you really keen to rectify yeah yeah no, I think that's a I think Whilst I knew with the lockdown thing, with the schooling thing, that, that went, the wheels fell off that so quick. But I really hope that my family can look back and think that we had a lot of fun too. And it has been, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because sometimes I felt guilty when we were having a nice time as well. Because it, 
dealing with the anxiety and the stress was predictable, horrible and predictable. But have, the bit where you were sat there thinking, actually, this is really nice or... Um, or we've all the been eating together. Yeah, the guilt of that is quite bizarre yeah. because still the reason why we're all on lockdown has been still been quite abstract in lots of ways. Yeah, and it's quite a weird thing to get your head around. It'd be really interesting to see what our kids' generation make it when they're older and talk about it. Well, I think that's why they they've got to get them back to um, a normality as soon as possible because I, you know, I as you felt, you know, when we're having fun, and you know, my kids are so privileged, and we have been, you know, out bicycling and, and we've been in outside space so much mm. and I just think about the kids who haven't had that no. and who aren't eating properly and you know it makes you feel desperate just thinking about them and their psychological fallout from this absolutely so yeah I, I reckon they've just got to work out a way to look after the, the children because they're the future and all the kids where the school meal is their like main nourishment of the day and all this so many gaps in the woodwork that don't actually add up as it is it's it's pretty shameful really um, yeah yeah There'll definitely be a fallout from all of it, but hopefully if everything kind of starts to write itself by September, then it won't have been yeah. too long a time. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely my kids too, very privileged, and you think, you think but even the they aren't lucky enough to be having yeah. a nice time at home with their families. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really... Um, I'm sure that'll be something that'll come out again and again as conversations start to emerge and everybody starts seeing each other again and whatever this new normal is that we're all kind of experiencing but but for the but, meantime, but, but, but in the meantime there does feel like a sense of community comradeship you know nurturing looking after each other mm. i do think there has been so much positives yeah that's uh, true seeing it you know localism and people reaching out for each other i think that that's been a really lovely thing to see yeah i agree and like the fact that you know your instinct at the beginning is taking bread round to people that's that's that in a nutshell isn't it yeah. like how can I reach out and say, I'm here if you need me and here's some nourishment and something I baked in my own kitchen. That's lovely. It's a lovely thing to do. I could swap you some if you like. I'll give you some riches to try some of yours. Oh, yeah, that would be great. See how you sourdough. And yeah. then just dance. Do I can't wait to be in your, like, disco. That's all I want to do now It's just, like, really go nuts and oh, dance. Oh, my goodness, I would love to dance. <laughs> I would love to. Um, I feel like we're getting quite... How are your thighs holding up? I'm definitely feeling a little bit of your... Cake sweaty. shops, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, quite sweaty, <laughs> quite sweaty. <laughs> so you said you've had two birthdays during lockdown, so was that your oldest and your youngest? Yeah, so Tatty turned nine. Um, she's my eldest. She's a proper gourmand. She's hysterical. So last night she came down, um, not not supposed to be coming down. We were having dinner, and uh, Mark had got some soul from the market, and my nanny had cooked at Asian style. My nanny, who couldn't cook a single thing when she started a year ago, has become the most incredible cook. She wow. like follows Instagram, and I, I don't. I mean, I, so impressive. Anyway, she cooked this incredible like Asian sole and greens and rice for them. And then we got the leftovers. So I made a kind of, I broke up the sole and put it on. And then I got my salsa matcha out from the cupboard, which is this chili and peanut oil from Baja California, and it is insane on anything. And there we were ladling on our peanut and chili oil onto our fish and greens and rice mm. and Tatty came down actually Otty came down too and that was it's quite hot this peanut and chili oil you probably won't like it slightly going them you're probably it's probably too hot for you and they both were like no no I want to give it a go and they're like that's really delicious I get such pride oh. that when they start getting all like foodie yeah so yeah Tatty's nine Otty is seven um and uh and just and and then Izzy is Isadora is four now newly four although she's still the baby obviously. yeah well four's still pretty little <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I mean and I sort of tried to 
stop myself from asking if they're into food because I thought it's such an obvious question. But at the same time, if you're cooking and eating as a family and stuff, it's it's still a big part of anybody's life, even if it's not what they go and do for a living as well. Well, the amazing thing about kids is you do realise that they all eat differently anyway and they all mm. have different tastes and, you know, so then they're, they're, they're definitely not perfect. And I think it's a really easy thing for mothers to beat themselves up about, about how they feed their children and whether they're eating healthy enough. And I think, you know, you just do your best. But I definitely was very conscious about introducing as many different flavours to them as early on. Um, and I'm not very good at giving them options. I'm afraid they get one option and then if they don't want yeah, to eat it. Yeah, I'm quite hardcore about that because I, I feel um, I feel they need to try things and they do have to eat green vegetables. But they love green vegetables, actually, you know, because they, they are delicious. Yeah. But green vegetables that are boring aren't delicious. You know, so if you f- give a child some overcooked broccoli with no seasoning and no butter or oil or lemon juice on yeah of course they're not going to like it but you know if you wilt some greens in a pan with garlic and oil and a bit of salt and you know squeeze of lemon juice you know hey presto delicious um and you know i think the same with french dressing my kids will probably eat pretty much anything as long as it's doused in french dressing so um i think kids are like infantilized a bit with food you know, 100% agree with that you know and, yeah. and if you're if you're fed chicken nuggets um and chips all the time that's all you're going to want to eat mm. um whereas I think they should be experiencing as many flavors as you eat you know why should they just get a kind of really limited range I think also you should never cook your kids something that you wouldn't want to eat yourself yeah totally. I, mean, I don't like if people do that they'll make some cobbled together mess of a meal and they're like there you go and you think well would you be happy if someone gave that to you like what no wonder they're not very excited um is there something that you find is like a real like surefire family here they've got like favorite a favorite thing for all that all three of them all love uh well i mean the homemade pizza is really fun especially when we've got the sourdough starter Mm. to go but um i mean we have treats we definitely have treats i'm trying to think i mean i God, I mean, fish and chips are great. Um, fish tacos, they love. So we've had to make quite a lot of fish tacos since Oaxaca's been shot because they really miss the fish tacos from Oaxaca, oh, which they love. But um, but I still completely get it wrong. Like the other day, I made some kind of... I was definitely using up some leftovers, which normally are always delicious. I love using up leftovers. But um, this one, you know, everything was in a pan. And then I found some tomatillo salsa I'd been testing a new recipe for. So I stirred that in too. And then I'd forgotten that the andouille that I put on as base to give it some extra flavour and protein was quite spicy. And the whole thing was so spicy. And Tati, my eldest, just was overtired. She had a total meltdown. She screamed for half an hour about how disgusting it was. <laughs> By which case, of course, the other two were no way going to touch it at all. It was like a Friday night. We were supposed to be all sitting down together and having a meal together. It was a total disaster. Anyway, yeah. so, you know, we all get it wrong, even chefs. Yeah, and it's actually, there's something so hard for your, you know, spirits to uh, to deal with when you've cooked something for ages for your kids and you think this is great and then they're just like, I don't like it. And you think, but that, that, that's so much love in that dish as well as all the time. And all, oh, it's just infuriating. But, you know, mothers, we're all spilling plates. We're just, you know, you, you, you're, you're trying to do your, your copy for your article and then you're trying to make sure the, 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 the floor is swept and it's not looking too disgusting and you've got to do the shopping and then you realise the wash doesn't come out of the washing machine and then someone's emailing you or asking you to go on news night and you're desperate to become, you know, just as, you know, serious as any other person and you're... <laughs> You're just, you know, you're thinking, help. How do I keep all these balls in the air? I know. So then sometimes supper, yeah. It's just whatever ends up, yeah. And when, do they normally have quite a good idea of what you do for a living, do you think? 
they they get told by their friends, I think. I think my three are quite gormless in some ways. Like, we don't really have the news on much in the background because I always listen to it on the radio. So um, their friends sometimes say, oh, your mummy, you know, she, you've got a famous mum, haven't you? Your, your mum's famous. And they're like, are you famous, mum? I'm like, no, obviously not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think, but I think, no, I mean, they, they don't really care. They, I think they, they probably enjoy the fact they get nice food. Although I think sometimes, especially my middle child, who doesn't care that much about food, would prefer it if I wasn't a cook. And then she could just have the normal food that all her friends get. Mm, yeah, sometimes, uh, we've got one of those in my family, definitely. It just gets a bit like, oh, you're, we're trying too hard here. It's yeah. a little bit indulgent. Yeah. Um, and what was I going to say to you? Uh, I have one more question going on from the... Oh, yeah, because with when you were saying before about work as a thing, sometimes you can sort of blame things on work and say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm working, you need to give me space, or I'm working, that's why I was rubbish with, you know dealing with a friend or something like that but with with the lockdown I feel like normally I can do my work when the kids are at school but now they're all at home all the time and I'll say I need to do some work or I need but do you find you have a space here that is just your own or are they is everywhere accessible for them we are we are really lucky because we moved into a new house um a year before lockdown and we've been working on it in lockdown and filling skits with earth and you know building things and Mm. my dad's been building my desk from old reclaimed wood that we took from the kitchen floor so it's been a bit of a family kind of effort and I like things that I like things that being a bit gritty I don't want it all on my plate you know prepared and perfect but equally the desperation sometimes when you've got your three kids on top of you they know you're in the house and that that desperation because my husband is angelic and does loads but he still has the willpower or the ability maybe to shut the door and and just turn and go onto his work whereas I feel like as the woman of the house there's always that element where we're just pulled in and pulled in. And I think having that space to work is really hardcore. And I think, um, and I think women definitely have suffered more from lockdown. You know, there's, you know yeah. the washing and the sweeping and all that. You know, Mark does loads, but, but I still feel, you know, the women's share is quite massive. And, and then trying to keep a work life going is quite hardcore. Yeah, I think it's, I read something someone put up probably on Instagram or something saying like, men go uh, tend to have a, an office or somewhere they go to do their work whereas the women are trying to do it all from the kitchen table and for me that was that was like yeah that's completely it and and our house Richard's got a little studio so the dynamic has always been that when he goes into the studio that's his space yeah but I don't have the equivalent at home and I've never really needed it specifically because I always come out and do my work elsewhere so having not having that has been really I really struggled with it the lack yeah. of headspace was something I it took me weeks to sort of try and find a way to give that somewhere, give that a space. I yeah. just couldn't do it. I found I, I cycled a lot around Regent's Park. Oh, really? <laughs> just for something to get out just and do. Just get out. And you, the girls out. would stay here when you did that so you could actually have some time to yourself. Yeah, but I'm really lucky. Oh, that's precious. lovely, lovely nanny who lives with us. So, yeah, but yeah, that was total sanity being restored. Yeah, you need a bit of that, don't you? Yeah. And actually, that's something I think I need to sort of carry forward, really, just trying to find a way to get that balance a bit better but I mean at the moment as well like this morning my 11 year old wanted to, he's written a little screenplay and he wants to do a film the 8 year old was dressed as Sonic and wanted me to do his face paint so that it matched the rest of his costume and they're just getting really cross with me I said I've got work to do they just couldn't really get their heads around it like you keep saying that every day you've got some work come on come and do our projects but I think it's really good for children to know their mother works I, I, I love the, you know, I say to them, who's going to pay for our next holiday? How do you think we eat lovely food? 
and and why do you think you've got nice bedrooms it's because I work mm. and you know I could not work but then all these lovely things might go away and I think it's a really good lesson for them yeah but also I think you're going to be a very calm mum when they get older because well, if they do have the equivalent of your wilderness years and they're just going to need to go off and do their own thing and have little adventures you're going to be like yeah, thumbs up. Hope it? so. Hope so. <laughs> Crossing yeah, fingers. Definitely. Did you have an idea of what kind of mum you might want to be? Do you think do you think you're the sort of mum you thought you'd be? I mean, I love that. My parents were actually really they were they were they were hardcore in some ways. They always expected me to kind of achieve a lot. But they were also brilliant giving me freedom. And so I was allowed Were they to, both working parents? Uh yeah, they were. My mum stopped working at some point. But um but but basically I was not given curfews. They trusted me to come back when I wanted to, when I was going clubbing and stuff like that, because I loved dancing. So that was really good. It meant I never really went off the rails in those kind of teen years. Mm. But um, so I, I, th- I would hope that I'd be like that. But, um, but I, we laugh. We've got this kind of character in the family, which is the lioness, because when I don't get enough sleep, I can get really grouchy. And I find Saturday mornings are my really, really worst time of the day, because you've got through a really punishing week often, and you get Saturday and you've probably gone to bed too late on Friday, definitely probably drunk a little bit too much. And then it's Saturday morning and it's full on. There's no kind of framework of school or like homeschooling. And then everyone's kind of going, rah, rah, rah. they're probably overtired. Everyone's overtired. And I, that's when the kind of grouchy lioness comes out at me and I start <laughs> roaring around the house. And I hate that about me. But at least now it's become a bit of a joke. And sometimes Tatty will just say to me, Mummy, do you think you ought to get a bit of sleep? <laughs> and uh, so I know, I, I know now what to look for because, um, yeah, that's obviously not cool. And it is amazing once you've had some sleep how much everything is better. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you can torture people by denying it. It's like an immediate thing, isn't it? <laughs> I think low blood sugar and not enough sleep are the two things. If you can sort those balances out, then, yeah, the world is a much happier place. And actually, yesterday I was in a really bad mood, just sort of finding everything a bit snappy and a bit annoying. And then um, Rich and I went out to do a couple of errands and I sort of started to perk up and had a coffee. It felt much better. And I was laughing about something. In fact, you probably won't find it funny, but basically we were queuing up at the post office and you know everything now has got your two-metre thing, so the queue's going for ages. And I was like saying, oh, this is a really good ride. It's quite a long time to queue for it. Once you go on it, it's really good. Like pretending we were on a theme park ride, this to me was very, very amusing. And then Richard went, oh, it's really nice now you're in a good mood. And I was like, that just totally killed it. Not, now I'm not finding anything funny anymore. So I, I don't know if you're the same, but when I get in a good mood again, don't comment that it's happened. Just appreciate it and let it be. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know how I know I'm an optimist? Because I'm attempting to record this in a really noisy house in a little... I've basically been a bit brazen and I've just gone to the sitting room, which means at any time anyone could walk in. Anyway, did you enjoy my chat with Tommy? I think she was so brilliantly, brilliantly candid and open and sometimes I walk away from chats with people and then a load of other questions pop into my head afterwards. And that's what happened with Tommy. I had all these questions and I thought, oh, did I ask her enough about the things she was listening to, the podcasts about sustainable um, food and sustainable farming? Maybe you guys are interested in that. I have to make sure you have that information. But also she talked about her issues with food and how she'd overcome them and how she used to have really big problems with food. And she's worked through it. And I thought at the time, 
you know, it's tricky, isn't it, when it involves um, mental health. You don't really want to push too hard with things because they're private. However, I thought afterwards, if I just write her an email and ask, she can say yes or no, can't she, about whether or not she wants to talk to me a bit more about it. And actually, she was really thoughtful and open and sent me an amazing email detailing how she'd managed to work through those issues. So I'm going to share that with you. Um, so... Uh, is, yeah, I'm going to read. I'm going to read what she sent me. Okay, so she said when it came to the podcast that she likes about uh, where food comes from. The one she loves is called Farmerama. It's really interesting about all aspects of the food supply and the people who are making amazing choices to how they grow their food and simultaneously nurture the environment. They also look at initiatives to give local people greater access to fresh fruit and vegetables, and it is really interesting. She says in brackets, "I never thought I'd be listening to farming podcasts." Anyway, and pass that on to you. Maybe you're going to be finding yourself listening to farming podcasts. And she said, with regard to healthy attitude to food, it came all from a place of appreciating food more, taking more time to prepare it rather than guiltily snatching it and never setting rules around what I was allowed to eat. Um, now, you see, that's quite a big thing, isn't it? Never setting rules around what she's allowed to eat and actually appreciating it and taking more time. I like the wisdom of that. Um, so she says that... Um, these days there are many books out there telling you how to eat better and eat clean and I understand food and work with it every day but even I find the mixed messages confusing avoid carbs avoid protein only eat greens eat fat eat grains don't eat grains I find the conflicting advice unfathomable and I know what I'm doing in the kitchen what about people who don't cook much but simply want to eat better what which of the many conflicting food fads and eating plans does one follow and she says after many years of trying any diet that came her way the simple answer is to follow none but your own. Listen to your own rhythms and metabolic pace and begin to understand what makes you feel good and your body feel happy. Um, now, that sort of stuff is really obvious, isn't it? But actually, how often do we take time to really think about what we're eating and in, absorb it in that way? I mean, my own theory about food is that so many of our relationship with it is formed when we're so small um, that it's understandable that it gets tied into emotional stuff and it gets very complex and hard to unwrap. But yes, by taking time to prepare your food and being engaged in the task of it and not feeling guilty, you could probably actually look after yourself a lot better as a result. Um, sorry, that was my thoughts. <laughs> to continue back to, um, to Tommy, she said, I realised that when I was relaxed and spent half an hour in the kitchen chopping, sautéing, steaming and tasting food, part of the driving, raging hunger that still had such power over me in my early 20s was already satiated by the time I sat down to eat. It was not real hunger that had such control over me, but a hunger to feed an unmet emotion. I began to stop, stop thinking that certain foods were the enemy. It dawned on me I was at my happiest when I was feeding a room full of people that playing with food or ingredients and making them taste good was one of the most satisfying things I did. Creating food, eating it, sharing it made me feel great. The more I appreciated that, the more it appreciated me. I realised that denying myself certain things only made me crave them more, gradually and unconsciously. I stopped the denial. When did I, when I did sometimes wolf down a vast bar of chocolate, I shrugged my shoulders and moved on. Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that um, and explains her food philosophy. And I'm really glad she shared that with me. So thank you to Tommy. Um, and actually, my body is telling me it wants chips. And so that is a good thing. Uh, I'm going to go and eat some chips. I love chips. And that's what I'm feeling like having. <laughs> chips and chocolate and maybe a pickled gherkin. Yeah, it's probably a good time to leave me, isn't it? But look, 
I sat in a bold place in a busy house and no one came to disturb me. So, you know, I'm not just listening to what my body wants to eat. I'm listening to where my body wants to sit down to. Um, next week is the last episode of this series of Spinning Plates. Thank you for holding my hand through this exciting time. My final guest of the series is the writer, journalist Hadley Freeman. Um, who uh, spoke to me very beautifully about her, um, her book, which details the story of her grandma and um, talks a lot about Jewish culture um, and a book called House of Glass, all about her grandma's tale. Um, I also spoke to her about 80s movies, about raising uh, twins and a baby uh, and about trying to write from home. How does she do that? Well, tune in and you'll find out. <laughs> Anyway, lots of love. I'm off to go and find a gherkin or some chocolate or some chips or whatever finds me first. Lots of love. See you next week. Bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.